Welcome to the 5G Techvitory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. Right, we are continuing with the next presentation and we'll hear from Rail Baltica itself, uh, representing Rail Baltica right here today is Andy Billington, the Innovation and Digital Architectural Senior Expert at Rail Baltica. A round of applause. Welcome, Thank sir. Thank you, everybody. Um, you'll be pleased to know that I'm not going to be giving a presentation on railway engineering this afternoon. It was, I think, by common request that that shouldn't happen. There are some technical aspects that I'll go into very briefly. Um, one of the questions that actually emerged when we first talked about doing this was why is a railway project presenting at a 5G event? What's the commonality? I think the ministers actually just explained transport network is a transport network. Whether we're moving containers of data or containers full of goods, it's still a transport network. For any uh, networking or telecoms engineers in the room, it's a layer four network, except ours are railways and physical our layer one is rails. The main thing that we have the opportunity to do is to look at events and to look at um, developments in other railways. So Rail Baltica is a greenfield project. The systems, the architecture are all being developed based on current best practice from around Europe and in some cases from further afield. So I think the, the minister mentioned asset ID um, there is, for example, a big project in Australia called Project iTrace, where the entire rail sector has got together with common standards, common language, a common, uh, to use the technical word, a common ontology for how the systems should talk to each other, for how they should describe components. And that's the kind of thing that is very difficult to retrofit to an existing railway. So I was at a conference in the UK recently and was discussing that with one of the specialists from Network Rail and his estimate for how much it would cost them to put that in place was in the tens of millions for each region in the UK and that's not each of the countries, that each region within the railway. So hundreds of millions to try and retrofit all of that kind of thing. We have the opportunity to actually build those things in from the start. We need to make sure we do get those opportunities. The other thing that I think we need to keep in mind as well is the technology has moved on since the last generation of railway standards. So some of you may be aware that railways for quite a lot of years now have used GSMR, which was a railway specific version of the GSM standards. So for, again, for the telecoms people, 2G technology, 2.5G in the most recent iterations, but not current. And it's become increasingly difficult to get spares. It's become increasingly difficult to get suppliers interested in maintaining systems. And it's, there's strong indication that from around 2030, the existing networks will probably have to be replaced. So the entire rail industry is going to be going through that transition. And one of the things that we as Rail Baltica will have to do is look today at what systems will be like in 2035 and work backwards to make sure that what we deliver in the next few years is capable of supporting not just the initial few years of operation, but also still fit for purpose in 2040, in 2045, and so on. For those of you who know any of the history of the rail industry, you'll know the first intercity rail net link in the world is 200 years old in 2030. And that link is still running and it's still using some of the infrastructure that was built 
back in the 1830s. Digital infrastructure isn't like that. If you talk to digital people at conferences about what does long-term infrastructure, as I did recently, I got to three to five years. Next event, next day, railway people, what's long-term infrastructure? 50 years. There's a very different mindset, but a lot of the things that we can do, a lot of the opportunities that we have are based on lessons learned from other sectors. So earlier this afternoon, we heard from people in the maritime sector saying similar messages to the things that we're saying about flexibility for the future, designing for the future. We will look at the best practice. We've looked at uh, what's happening in the mobile industry, what can be done in terms of components, in terms of modularity. The big change from GSMR to the new system, which is called the Future Railway Mobile Communication System, or FRMCS, one of the biggest changes is actually in architecture, not in the radio technology. FRMCS is designed to be radio agnostic. So the first generation will be developed with the 5G standards in mind and is being written into the 3GPP standards, not into a railway industry standard. It is going to be in 3GPP. The second generation will probably be 5G advanced, laying the way towards 6G from maybe the mid-2030s onwards. And the, one of the biggest changes that brings is that to upgrade the existing communications networks along railways is usually a complete forklift upgrade. So just take things out and replace the whole module, the whole, the whole system. What FRMCS will allow is replace module by module. So you're not replacing the whole system, you replace just the thing that is either damaged or just out of date. It's a much more flexible approach, much more flexible architecture, and some of that has been inspired by things that have been done in the telecoms and IT world particularly if you look at things like the Telecom Info Project or Open RAN or the Open Compute Project. There's a lot of learning that we can bring in from other sectors, whether that's architecture, whether it's sensors. Again, the minister mentioned distributed acoustic sensing. Without going into the physics behind it, the principle is that a fibre running along the railway will detect the vibrations of the train going past. And if you know what the vibrations should be, you can then detect defects. So the pattern is not what it should be. There's something has changed. So you can minimize the number of on-site inspections, on-track inspections. If you minimize the amount of on-track work, you're clearly minimizing the risk to the track workers. You're also reducing the likelihood of disruption caused by work, either overruns or emergency works. So we can use technology that's from other sectors. And this acoustic sensing technology came from oil and gas and is now coming into rail. We can also look at more sustainable approaches to how the infrastructure is delivered. If you, depending on which research you read, you'll see that data centers around the world are responsible for between three and 5% of emissions or energy consumption, depending on which analyst has written the report there's a big focus on reducing those numbers. I'm sure you can imagine the size of the electricity bill that arrives at Google every day. They are going to be, they are actively working to see, can they run their equipment more efficiently? If they allow the equipment to run a little bit warmer, can they get more, um, more performance out of it without damaging the lifetime of the equipment? Typically those two things are directly related. If you let it run hot, it probably won't last as long but there's a balance to be found. Can you design the hardware in a more sustainable way so that, for example, you don't have single-use plastics used for the manufacturer's badge on the front of a box? 
the, the badge on a box in a data center is going to be seen by the data center engineers. You don't really need an advert for the manufacturer. The people working on the box will know who it is. The key thing in all of this is when we're developing and delivering new infrastructure, what lessons can we learn from other places? What can we bring in? What can we work with, in particular, the telecoms and IT sectors on? Because we're all network infrastructure, just different types of network, some physical, some virtual, some purely digital. How do we share knowledge? Where possible, can we share some elements of infrastructure? So for example, a tower or a, a duct? Can equipment be pushed on things like station buildings or other physical facilities that have to be delivered as part of the railway? How do we enable those opportunities and how do we make sure that those opportunities are available for as many people as possible? The impact of a new infrastructure project in any region is big, but the impact in this region is going to be transformative in many ways. And we have to all work together to try and deliver that. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Please do take a seat because we are continuing with a fireside chat and I would like to welcome on the stage the rest of the panel that will uh, join Andy in uh, this discussion. And uh, let's welcome on the stage, he's the moderator for this fireside chat, the Director of Disruptive Analysis, Dean Bubbly. Thank you. Hi. And I would like to also welcome on the stage uh, between the two gentlemen, Chief Specialist of the Mobile Broadband Development Department at the Ministry of Digital Transformation of Ukraine, Nadia Babich. Welcome. Thank you very much. By the way, Dean, did you know uh, the originals of the fireside chat? No, go there ahead. There were originally uh, a radio broadcast by President Roosevelt in the United States in great times of uncertainty. So during evening times, President sat down talk to the people of America through the radio broadcast, and they were sitting by fireplaces. So, hence, fireside chat. I wish you all the warmth of a fireside chat. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that, that's a, an anecdote that I really had not heard before, and I'll be reusing that one. Um, so just uh, as a quick introduction, this is a 20-minute panel. Uh, not even a panel. It's more, as I say, of a chat. It's the end of the day. Um, hopefully, there's some drinks outside afterwards. Um, and yeah, as a just a quick introduction to myself, I'm a, a, a technology industry analyst. So I write about and advise on wireless technology and telecoms more broadly. Uh, so that's 5G, 6G, Wi-Fi, spectrum, satellite. And one of the themes that I end up doing quite a lot of work on is rail connectivity and communications. And there's lots of different ways they, they overlap. Um, obviously, and we'll hear in, in a moment about a number of the communications requirements for control and safety of trains and rail, operational needs. Uh, and something else I've been looking at a lot recently is, is passenger connectivity, which I don't think we're going to touch on, on so much here. But that really got me thinking about the challenges of dealing with you know, consumers and passengers on the train, uh, especially if we want people to switch from using um, air transport or uh, road onto trains and providing people with a, a good experience. Maybe we'll touch on that. The other thing that, that is relevant that crops up is what happens at each end of a journey at the stations and then beyond. Um, and that has different wireless characteristics. And then the last thing is that I'm definitely going to talk about is 
the infrastructure side of it, this linking of the transport infrastructure with whether it's ducts for fibre or towers and everything else. So a bit of context. Um, Andy, you've just heard for, I'd like to welcome our other speaker today, Nadia uh, Babich from Ukraine. Nadia, could you sort of just give us a quick introduction to the project you're working on and, and what your role is there, please? It will be my honour. So yes, uh, I will try to be briefly. My name is Nadia Babich. I'm a chief specialist of the mobile broadband unit, as you said, of our ministry. And one of the priorities of our ministry is uh, to provide of 95% of citizens with access to high-speed internet. That's why I'm so thank you for this invitation and really a great opportunity to learn about experience in railway tracks uh, coverage uh, because uh, we, I mean Ukraine, is only at the beginning of this path. Uh, before the full-scale invasion, we made some calculations and have a view how to implement this. But of course, the full-scale war ruins uh, our plan and now we strive to return uh, to our pre-war uh, plan. Uh, so now we are considering the possible a pilot project. Uh, the main idea is to build cell towers along railway tracks that are part of the TNT and then lease uh, these cell towers or parts uh, of them to the mobile operators. And uh, the possible direction is Poland-Ukraine, more precisely railway connection. Shemishali uh, is Poland city and then Lviv and broader they are Ukrainian cities. So uh, we hope that it allowed to increase business uh, ties between European Union and Ukraine, uh, in particular logistic and railway transport, and of course ensuring emergency services on railway uh, in border areas. So in short, uh, these are plan related to this coverage of railway tracks. Thank you. And is, is that... Are you, is that based on the existing railway network or is this like, like uh, Rail Baltica, is it a new rail um, construction project mm -hmm. plus the transport or are you putting the network on top of the existing rail system? You see, are we considering like a new architecture because this pilot project will be the first step before the coverage of Ukraine with 5D technology. So that's why uh, for now, at this stage, we are considering this scenario. Thanks, thanks. Andy, I mean, how, how does that compare to, to sort of your view of, of what you're doing with Rail Baltica? I think that the two can align quite closely. Um, we are greenfield, um, but a lot of the issues that will arise will arise for both. Um, so, for example, what degree of sharing is possible? What, what's, where do the railway standards mean that things have to be isolated. So train control systems are not going to share infrastructure with people browsing YouTube, hopefully. Yeah. No, that, that will just not be, be something that happens. But the main principle that we can, I think we can all look at is when you have a large scale construction team out in the field, what else can be delivered at the same time as a railway? Or what else can be delivered along a railway? So as Nadia mentioned, towers, there's fibre duct, as you mentioned earlier on. Um, there's things like energy supplies and locations for mobile operators to put equipment. Can you reserve some space for them? Um, 
which we are doing. And I think we, uh, I think we probably should, should should share some knowledge on things like how much power we've been we're being advised people are likely to want, um, and all those kind, of <coughs> excuse me, all those kind of things. We I think there's quite a lot in common. And, and I mean, we already know that in Latvia, the Ministry of is, is quite convenient because the Ministry of Transport and the Ministry of Network Infrastructure is the same. But in Ukraine, you know, it sounds like you, you work on the Digital Transformation Ministry. Do you have good collaboration with the, the, rail, with the Ministry of Transport for, for this project? Yes, of course, because we have like the same aim to become the full participant of 5G transport corridors. So that's why we are working in collaboration in this way. Uh, um, what are the primary applications that you are starting to work on and, and how do you see that evolving? Uh, you see now we have like estimate numbers of the cell towers that we uh, will need. It's about uh, 41 cell towers and if we're talking about approximate budget it's uh, 2.6 million uh, euros and of course we are Mm, are looking in direction about uh, you know detailed uh, stages so it's including a procedure of obtaining of land plots construction of cell towers connections these cell towers to uh, electricity networks so uh, if we're talking about detailed application you know in our case we just want uh, to uh, uh, to find the uh, possible, possible cost investment, uh, our partner, and then after this, we we uh, will be looking so deeply. I mean, application and something. Because uh, uh, I was thinking, is it, uh, is your expectation? It's more about the connectivity for the train operator, so the control of the train or business functions with the train, or is it more about the passengers? Uh, if, for example, we're talking about mobile operators, they aren't interested in participant because it is unprofitable for them. The first, yes, the main uh, reason is ongoing war in Ukraine. And of course, the second reason is that mobile connectivity will expand it only for the uh, train passengers. That's why one of the options uh, will be, for example, govern enterprises who will be like an owner of these also towers. But the owner in simple way will be the state and then it will be leased uh, to mobile operators. Thanks. Uh, Andy, from, from your point of view, you, you, you presume obviously train control and the operational side of it is top of your list. I mean, at what point do you think about renting space to mobile operators? Is, is the, where does that come on your pr priority list of um, tasks. It's, it's fairly close to the top. Um, the, obvious, the primary consideration in any railway is always safety. So we'll, we will always look at safety before looking at anything else. Um, but one of the things we have to do in designing the new infrastructure is take those kind of things into account to make sure, for example, the tower is strong enough to take the weight of multiple radios. Or is that an issue? And does that issue itself mean that approaches like neutral host make more sense? And that's something that I think needs to be considered in, in any infrastructure project. Um, I think that you had a session earlier on, Dee, uh, yeah, about I, the indoor, um, and you mentioned the, the UK approach on neutral host where the mobile operators got together 
and formed a specification between them that people can then meet or, or not. Um, and that, that's definitely an interesting approach. But it, it's one way to make the infrastructure delivery a little more straightforward. It, I mean, it's not straightforward, oh, yeah. a little more straightforward. Um, I mean, the question always on, on rail is whether the mobile operators need the towers in those specific lo same locations that the railway does. Yeah, because it may be they have coverage or they, they have a, um, cell towers nearby. Uh, yeah, there's not always a, like there happen to be a convenient set of coverage gaps. Uh, you know, uh, in Ukraine, the railway tracks uh, are pressed outside settlement and it's often located at a distance that uh, they can receive the signal from the base station that, for example, near settlements. That's why we exactly need to build cell towers along railway tracks. Uh, uh, th thank you. And uh, actually, both of you, are, are you just looking along the tracks or are you looking at the stations as well? Uh, we are looking at cell towers and then uh, it will be like a place for the further placement of mobile operators' equipment. Andy? A, a mix of the two. Um, along the tracks is, is necessary, is essential for train control, so that will have to be done. There's also, as you know, the EU initiative to have 5G coverage along all major transport corridors, um, cool. so both road and rail. Um, so we have to take that into account. There's also stations and the possibility that equipment could be mounted on a station building or, we, or if we have an equipment location near a station, it could well be near enough. Um, if you're talking sort of 20 meter towers and 3.5 gigahertz, not 27 gigahertz, yeah. then you've got a bit more flexibility. Actually, on Spectrum is an interesting one. I mean, so, so um, Andy, you're looking at the, is it 1.900 and 1.9? Rail has reserved spectrum at just over 900 megahertz and at 1.9 gigahertz, but that's, that's rail applications, basically. Um, so that will be train control, um, potentially some security f uh, features, potentially to support autonomous trains uh, or remote driving. Um, if anybody's interested in on, on autonomous trains, I'll do a small plug for another platform tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock. Um, and I think the, those applications, though, one key thing is their bandwidth requirements are not high. Some of the highest requirements are only 200, 300 kilobits a second. It's reliability above everything else that, that matters for those kind of things. And you don't want a remotely driven train losing its mobile signal. Yeah. Nadia, what's the situation with Spectrum? What, what, what bands are you looking at for your, your project? Uh, we are considering exactly this band that you mentioned because they are already used for 4D technology, but in parallel we are working on 5D pilot project launching and uh, that's why uh, uh, within this pilot project we are discussing uh, to give such from three mobile operators uh, the 10 megahertz upload and 10 megahertz download, so totally 20 in 700 megahertz. So maybe exactly this band will be possible to use for our pilot uh, project exactly related with coverage of railway. Right, so 700 megahertz with sort of 2 by 10, um, yes. which would be good for coverage but not huge capacity. It depends if everyone is watching YouTube on their phone, but... Uh, 
Um, okay, that's that. That would explain as well that the, the, you could have distance between the towers that can be significant because otherwise they would need to be close together. Okay. Um, so, what is the timeline for your project? What, what is mm -hmm. so the possible deadline is up to years. So, including all necessary procedure, as I said earlier, from uh, obtaining a land plant and to finish leasing these cell towers to mobile operators. So, two years, we'll see, maybe it will be sooner, I hope. Uh, and Andy, what's the, the timeline for the, what we've been discussing on, on Rail Baltica? It, it'll be um, over a period of time. Um, obviously, you don't open a brand new railway all in one go. Um, so, we're probably talking about 2028 to 2030. All oh, right. Um, and the one of the things that we've actually had to contend with is I mentioned FRMCS. Without getting into too much detail, the FRMCS standards are not actually finalized yet in 3GPP, and they weren't in the railway regulations until about three months ago. So we've actually had to wait to see them come into the railway regulations, which has now changed, finally, thankfully. Um, so we can begin to do a bit more detailed work. Because uh, uh, I've been looking into you know, FRMCS a bit recently, and, and it seems like you know, a lot of things to do with 5G, which is sounds like a good idea, not as easy as it looks. Um, you know, I mean, if I look at what's happening elsewhere in 5G world, it's been slow to evolve beyond basic mobile broadband because of things like getting the cloud native core right and all this sort of stuff. Um, do you see those hurdles all overcome by the time you get around to it in FRMCS, or has he got his own set of issues like device available? It, it will have its own set of issues because it's different spectrum. So silicon can be different. And that's an issue at the moment is actually it's difficult for people to test because there aren't many chip sites out there with the right spectrum. Um, some of the things that are sort of the 5G key buzzwords, if, you, if I can say, you know, the ultra reliable, low latency, um, they're not actually needed for the rail applications. They're nice to have. Interesting. They might be needed for things like uh, freight terminal automation. If you've got you know, autonomous vehicles moving containers around, you'd want the really, really low latency. But for the train control applications, the latencies of latencies in milliseconds are acceptable in, in almost all applications. Um, URLCC, URLLC yeah. um, is one. The enhanced mobile broadband is actually the enabler for a lot of things. But as I think I mentioned, the biggest change that FRMSYS brings in is an architectural change. Hmm. It's not necessarily 5G features. It's the architecture change that it having to do the radio change has enabled an architecture change in signaling, in train control, in the equipment on board the trains. So that everything is moving towards modular systems, commodity IT where you can, um, where standards allow. Safety regulations obviously sometimes say, no, you have to use a railway specific version. Um, and we have quite extreme temperature ranges to cope with as well, there's things like that. Mm. The modularity is something that, that I think is very important, being able to sort of adopt new technologies as they come online, whether it's later versions of the standards, maybe adding in satellites as backup, all these sort of things. Um, we've got about two and a half minutes left. Um, 
I've got bright lights, so I can't see the audience, but hopefully there's someone who can watch out. If you have any questions, um, by all means, put your hand up, or if we have anyone from uh, online. Yes, we do, sir. Yes, ah. we do. So the first question comes from online, and then we can attend to you as well. So uh, thank you to Raja, who's been sending in questions all day long. I love our uh, participants also online. And her question to you is, what strategies or uh, financial models can organizations adopt to overcome the hurdle of high initial investment costs when implementing digital innovations in greenfield projects? And there are a few. Um, it depends on the nature of the project itself and what it might be eligible for. So, for example, transport projects, energy projects and large digital projects can look to the Connecting Europe facility, as, as we do, for significant funding. Um, there are some other options for um, government funding. Um, the Connecting Europe facility is probably the, the, the flagship one, I would say, for, for that. I don't know if you agree, Dean, but this, um, that's something that people should definitely look into. Okay, thank you. And yes, uh, I can add that, of course, if you're talking about uh, Ukraine, uh, our state budget is aimed at military needs that why, for example, we uh, plan uh, to implement of our pilot project exactly with international support. So for now, we are considering exactly this way of solution, of funding. Thank you. Um, I, apparently there's a question in the audience. I will say I can't really see anyone from here. So, so please do raise your hand if there is a question. Uh, I have another question here. So, artificial intelligence is the buzzword of 2023. What practical real-world use cases are there in greenfield railways, or is there only natural intelligence in construction? <laughs> there has to be both. There definitely has to be natural intelligence as well. Um, one of the things that, that is, a, is a difficulty in rail is, or an, a reasonable and understandable difficulty, is you have to be able to prove certain things. You have to be able to prove safety. You have to, and some of that needs to be done with formal methods, which you just simply cannot do on things like self-learning algorithms. You can't prove how it works. So it can't be used for some applications. For other applications like lifecycle modeling of infrastructure, the decision trees are actually relatively simple and, and static. Um, so I think in, in all of our cases, we would find you know, if a component behaves this way here, it's probably going to behave the same way there, unless you've got very different environmental conditions. So I think there, there are applications, but it's not, there isn't a simple answer. It's not yes, no. Okay. Um, uh, from my point of view, I must admit, I hadn't come across many AI use cases related to rail yet. I would imagine they're more at the application layer for things like you know, if you had connected video cameras to look for debris on the track or something like that. Yeah. Um, in terms of the network itself, um, yeah, it's not like an ordinary public mobile network where you have to sort of deal with congestion or, or something like that. You, there's a limited number of users you can have in a particular area. Okay, another, unless you have any final comments? No, again, I want to thank you. No, thank Even you. this 20 minutes for me will more or less enough to learn about your experience. So thank you.